I'm going to need your help, Dave, if you can come up here for a moment here. Um, if the sermon seems a little off this morning, that's because it's being brought to you via the help of some powerful pain meds. I, I got a kidney stone the other day, so... Um, yeah, so there's nothing more to say. So, how much does a cup, how, sorry, how heavy is a cup of water? So Dave, I'm going to ask you to hold this cup of water. How heavy is that? Well, actually, to hold it straight up, though. How heavy is a cup of water? Well, you guys have all done this. How, how, how heavy is it? Okay. No? Not how much does it weigh, how heavy is it? When you first picked it up, is it heavy? No, but the longer he holds it there, is it heavier now? You keep doing this for a while and we'll see how heavy it gets. Right? When you think of it, how heavy is it? It depends on how long, thanks, it depends on how long you hold it. And for some of us, we are holding up false images or a false self. We're holding up, we're presenting to the world a false self. And it's getting exhausting holding it up. And it's time for us to let it go. Today we're going to continue our sermon series on emotionally healthy spirituality. Last week we looked at the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, and today we're looking at know yourself that you may know God. Know yourself that you may know God. Then the third, next week we're going to look at going back in order to go forward. And then the fourth week we'll look at journeying through the wall. And then uh, fifth week we enlarge our soul through grief and loss. And then the sixth is discover the rhythms of the daily office and Sabbath. Then the seventh week is grow into an emotionally mature adult And then the final week is go the next step and develop a rule of life. Today we're going to look at the biblical character of David, who is a prime example of someone who knew himself and was able to know God. He knew himself and he knew God. He was not a perfect person by any means, not at all. But it's an example of someone who knew himself. And the biblical principle I want us to remember today is that God loves you for who you are, not some idea of what you might become. God loves you for who you are, not some idea of what you might become. And God loves us the way we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us the way we are. But God doesn't love some false image that we present. And when we present a false image, when we present something other than who we are at our core, it keeps us from being truly loved. Because if people love that image we present, they're loving the image, not us. And in fact, what happens is it keeps us from being loved. It also keeps us from accepting God's love for us. And maybe the greatest gift we can give our world is a true self, living in loving union with God. Remember in the video that Dave showed, it said that Muslims are looking to meet authentic Christians, not perfect Christians. Authentic Christians. And young people in our world are looking 
to meet authentic Christians. People are longing for people not to be perfect, but to be authentic. And the problem is, when we present a false self to others, we're really lying to ourselves. And when we're not true to ourselves, we're not really being true to God. And so in today's message, I want to give you time for some serious reflection. So let's begin with a moment of silence. And in that moment of silence, don't pray to God, don't speak to God, just be silent. Listen. Sometimes we're talking to God so much that we can never listen to God. So I want you just to take a moment of silence and do absolutely nothing as we prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. There's a famous Hasidic story of Rabbi Zuzha that is very fitting today. Rabbi Zuzha, when he was an old man, said, In the coming world, they will not ask me, Why were you not like Moses? They will instead ask, Why were you not like Zuzha? God will never ask us to be someone we are not. So why are we so tempted to present a false self rather than our true self? Today we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to go back to chapter 16 to give a bit of the context here. Um, you guys mostly know the story of David and Goliath, the young shepherd boy who goes up against the giant Goliath and defeats him with a sling and a stone. Well, to understand the full impact of the story, though, we need to go back and understand King Saul was the first king of Israel, but he disobeyed God, and God withdrew his blessing, his anointing from him, and he instead anointed David to be king over Israel. Saul was going to be king of Israel until he died, at least in the eyes of the Israelites. But Saul knew that he had been rejected by God. Samuel had told him so. And so Samuel is told by God, Samuel's the prophet, and he's told to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons as the next king. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. And so Samuel is going to go and he's worried that Saul is going to find out and be mad at him and kill him. And so he comes up with a little story and so he goes down to Bethlehem to sacrifice and he invites Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. You get to verse 5. Samuel replied, Yes, I come in peace. I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. 
When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And so Jesse brought his sons with him to the sacrifice. Samuel's been told that one of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king. And so the first son, his oldest son, an incredible man, great soldier, stands before him. And he says, obviously, this has to be the one. But, verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Jesse parades son after son in front of Samuel to see which one the Lord has chosen. Verse 8, Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But God said, no, that's not the one. Then Shema passes by and he keeps going. And he gets through all his sons. Or so he thought. You go down to verse 11 or 10. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked, Are these all the sons you have? Now Samuel had come to Saul, I mean, Samuel had come to Jesse and said, Bring out your sons. One of them I'm going to anoint one of them as king. Jesse didn't even consider that David would be a possibility. David is out tending the sheep. David is the youngest. David's a young boy. It couldn't be him. So he said, yeah, there's verse um, 11. There is still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. Shepherds were considered the lowest class in society at that time. And so Jesse's like, you can't mean David. So even David's father, this is a messed up family. Okay, they have issues. They have, his father doesn't think he's going to amount to anything. So Samuel says, hey, we're not going to sit down until he gets here. So someone go get him. So he comes in and says, verse 12, so he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with fine appearance and handsome figures. Then the Lord said to him, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. And so David is anointed as the new king. And Samuel anoints him in front of his brothers. Do you think his brothers would be happy? Well, David is sent back out into the fields to tend the sheep. Now, David also, before we get to Goliath, um, Saul, has, God has withdrawn his blessing on him and allows a tormenting spirit to come and cause him great problems. And the only thing that will give him relief is to have someone play the harp. And so David is able to play the harp. And so whenever Saul is feeling bad, they send for David. David comes, plays the harp for Saul. Saul feels better. David goes back. And so this is basically what's going on when we get to chapter 17. It says there, chapter 17, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socha in Judah. And basically the Philistines are in the land and they are going to come against the Israelites and do battle. And so they gather at this area 
and they're all on one hill. The Philistines are on one hill, and the Israelites gather on the other hill, and there's this valley in between them. And back then, what you could do is you would have the greatest soldier in one, from one army come down and fight against the best soldier from the other army, and instead of having everyone fight, they would just have those two fight, and whoever won, then the other army would surrender and serve the other army. And this is basically what's happening. Goliath comes down and taunts the Israelites, saying, send out your best. If he beats me, we will serve you. But if I defeat him, you will serve us. And for 40 days, this goes on, day after day after day. Who is the soldier from Israel that should go to do battle? It should be Saul. Saul had God's anointing on him, and he would lead the children of Israel in battle, and he would defeat all their enemies, not because he was the greatest warrior, but because God was with him. So when Goliath is taunting them, it should be Saul who goes out to fight. But he knows that God has rejected him, and he knows that his anointing is no longer on him, and so he's not going out. And David's brothers... They're in the service of the king. They are soldiers. They're great warriors, and they're not going out to fight. And so Israel basically just sits around and does nothing. And then all of a sudden, David comes out. David's going back and forth from tending sheep, and he comes out. You go to verse 25. It says, Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man, meaning Goliath, keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. Boy, things don't change much. What incentive? No taxes. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And so the people tell David, hey, this is what's going to happen to anyone who goes out and kills him. But look at verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave the few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. How in the world did he get so angry with David? His own brother is saying, you are a wicked, evil person with a deceitful and arrogant heart. David goes, what have I done? So just a mess here. And David is going to go and say, I'll go fight. I'll go fight. And so he goes up to Saul and says, you don't have anything to worry about, I'll fight. So um, you go to verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But for Saul, this isn't that bad of a deal because if Saul sends David out and fights him and Goliath kills a little boy, they're going to say, oh, we, he wasn't our best soldier. We just sent him out. 
you know, and you killed a little boy, proud of yourself there, aren't you? So Saul's like, hey, this is sort of a win-win for me. So Saul goes, you can't go out and fight. So this is what he says. But David said, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David understands who he is. He understands that he has fought against a lion and a bear, but it's not him, it's God who has protected him. He understands who, who he is, he understands who God is, and he understands who Goliath is, and he says, I'll go and fight him, but I'm not going to fight him because I'm a great soldier. God is with me. That's how I'm going to be victorious. And so Saul says, okay, verse 37, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Saul said, if you're going to go out and fight, you have to fight the way I do. You have to dress the way I do. You have to put my armor on if you're going to go and do battle against Goliath. David puts it on and says, I can't go. That's not me. I can't fight the way you fight. I'm a shepherd. So, how does David go to do battle? He said, I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. David went out to do battle as a shepherd. Why? Because that's who he is. He wasn't trying to be anyone else. He wasn't trying to be Saul. He wasn't trying to be one of his brothers. He went as a shepherd because he knew that God was with him. He knew who he was and he knew who God was. He knows who Goliath is. He can see him. Goliath is nine feet tall. He has incredible armor. It says that the spear that he's carrying, the head of the spear weighs 15 pounds. Carries a big, huge sword with him too. Massive giant. But David doesn't look at that. David knows that God is with him. And he knows that to defeat Goliath, he just needs to be himself. And so you go down to verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. 
For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Saul had forgotten that. The soldiers in Israel had forgotten that. David knew who was fighting the battles for them. David knew who he was, he knew who God was, and he was going to do battle knowing those things. So he goes out and does battle with Goliath. Goliath comes out to him, and all David does is take one stone, puts it in his sling, goes around, you know the story, hits him in the head, the stone sinks into his head, kills him right there. Goliath falls down, but to make sure that everyone knows that Goliath's dead, David goes, cuts his head off to show that Goliath is indeed dead. David didn't pretend to be anyone other than who he was. And he took with him the tools of his trade into battle. What are the tools that God has given you? What makes you unique? David took with him a staff, a sling, and a shepherd's bag. Why? Because that's who he is. Who are you? Do you know who you are, or do you keep presenting a false self to the world? David didn't pretend to be anyone other than who he was. But he knew that God was with him. What are the things in our world that our world values? Money, power, numbers, size. God doesn't look at those things. God looks for a heart that trusts him. What gave David confidence was not his own skill, but that God was with him. And God will rescue us from the Goliaths in our life if we would stop pretending to be people that we're not. We are not called to be anyone other than who we are. We're not called to be Moses. We're not called to be David. You are not called to be your parent. You are not called to be your brother or your sister. So why do you put forth a false self for other people to love? Often it's that we're afraid that if people knew who we really were, we would be rejected. God hasn't rejected you. God loves you the way you are and accepts you the way you are. And when we keep putting forward a false self, it keeps us from receiving God's love for us. And it keeps us from loving ourselves as well. So I want to show some symptoms of a false self here. And if you're following along in the bulletin, these, the answers are coming up. The first thing is, a false self one of the symptoms. I say yes when I mean no. I say yes when I mean no. Why do we lie? I say yes when I mean no. The second is, I get depressed when people are upset with me. I get depressed when people are upset with me. The third is, I have a need to be approved by others in order to feel good about myself. The way others view me 
It's the way I view myself. The fourth is, I act nice on the outside, but inside I can't stand you. The fifth is, I often remain silent in order to keep the peace. And you can see how a number of these go hand in hand. The sixth one is, I believe that if I make mistakes, I myself am a failure. And seventh is, I criticize others in order to feel, in order to feel better about myself. We criticize others. And you know what? You've all met people who criticize other people, and it never makes the other person feel better. When I criticize someone else, it never makes me feel better, so why do we do it? Eight, I avoid looking weak or foolish for not having the answer. Nine, I have to be doing something exceptional to feel alive. I need to feel important. Or the tenth is, I have to be needed to feel alive. And then number eleven, I am fearful and I can't take risks. Number twelve, I do what others want so they won't get mad at me. That goes right back to number one. I do what others want so they won't get mad at me. Thirteen, I use knowledge and competence to cover my feelings of inadequacy. Number fourteen, I want my children to behave well so others will think I am a good parent. It's okay for us to want our children to behave well, but ask ourselves why. And then number 15, I compare myself a lot to other people. David knew himself, and he knew God. And he knew that God accepted him as David, not as one of his brothers, and not as Saul, and not as Samuel. A limited awareness of yourself will also limit your relationship with God. So we need to know ourselves, and we need to ask those questions, why do we do what we do? David had some pretty big obstacles to overcome in his life. When you think of the obstacles, his family was a big obstacle for him to overcome. His family was messed up. But so often we pretend we have perfect families, don't we? We, resent, we like to present a certain image. False self again. The second obstacle David had to overcome was significant others with authority and experience. Saul, having to live up to his expectations. Well, that was difficult. And then the other obstacle was Goliath himself. Remember what was, was said when David was going to do battle. Saul tried to dress him in his own clothing. David said, I can't go and act like you. I can only be me. I can't wear what you wear. I can't fight with what you fight. I have to be true to myself. And so let me just quickly give you four principles 
to begin making the radical transition to living faithfully as your true self. The first is this, pay attention to your interior in silence and solitude. We are so busy in our world, we are doing, doing, doing. Take time in solitude and silence to pay attention to your interior. And then find some trusted companions. Some trusted companions who know who you are at your core. You don't need to know everyone, and everyone doesn't need to know you, but someone needs to know you. So have trusted companions who know who you really are. And then move out of your comfort zone of presenting a false self. Move out of that comfort zone and present your true self. Be authentic. And pray for courage. But this is the start on the road to emotionally healthy spirituality. And dress yourself in your true self. Be true to yourself. God knows who you are. Do you know who you are? And let me just ask you this. Why did David take five stones? He only needed one. Why did he take five stones? Because Goliath had four brothers. So you go to the end of 2 Samuel and you can read about this in David tries to go out and kill Goliath's four brothers. Um, Otherwise, why do you need the five stones? But remember today, God will never ask you to be anyone other than who you are. And when I get to heaven, I know Jesus isn't going to ask me, Paul, why were you not more like David? He's going to say, why were you not more like Paul? Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know of your grace and mercy. To know that you know us better than we know ourselves. Heavenly Father, forgive us for those times when we have not been authentic. Not been authentic with ourselves, not been authentic with you, not been authentic with our world. Help us to remember, Lord, that we are not to fight the giants in our life alone. But you, you will fight for us. The battle belongs to you. And so, Lord, we live in a world, though, that is so concerned with performance. And acceptance is based on performance. And we're always being judged And the pressure is great, especially for our young people. But not only for them, all of us are on a stage, it seems like. And so, Lord, help us to remember that the true audience is only you. And you love us. Help us to accept your love. Help us to love ourselves. And help us then to turn and share your love with the world that's in desperate need of knowing your love. And we will give you all the praise and glory. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.